Welcome to the American Railroading Podcast, brought to you by the Revolution Rail Group, live from the great state of Texas. We'll discuss a wide range of topics related to the railroad industry, from regulatory items and the challenges our industry faces, to passenger rail excursions, and recognizing U.S. Armed Forces veterans in our industry. Join us as we educate, entertain, and explore the world of American railroading. Here's your host, industry veteran, Don Walsh. Well, hey, welcome everybody to the American Railroading Podcast. I am your host, Don Walsh, President and CEO of the Revolution Rail Group, the anchor sponsor for the American Railroading Podcast. We are a consulting and brokering firm in the rail car industry, so if you're needing any kind of consulting, whether it's merger and acquisition consulting, help with uh, market analysis, process flow analysis, we can help you with that. We can also help you with buying, selling, leasing, or subleasing your rail cars. So feel free to give us a call at 844-455-3434. You can also email us at info at therevolutionrailgroup.com. And you can learn more about our full suite of services at our website at therevolutionrailgroup.com. So folks, it's officially fall here in Houston, and we know that because all the outdoor festivals are happening. If we tried to do that during the summer, we would die. So it's it's really pretty beautiful out there today. It's 68 degrees, and it's it's a welcome thing. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to to winter coming, and the holidays are right around the corner. Um, thanks to all of you, we remain in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, which is a total blessing. Uh, we've been downloaded in 22 countries now on over 33 different podcast platforms. Uh, it's simply amazing. So please continue to download, to share, and to leave us reviews. If you like what you've heard, please leave us reviews because that does affect our uh, viewings because it gets pushed further out into the internet the more reviews there are. So please continue to leave us reviews. Uh, If you like what you heard on our podcast, you can also buy us a cup of coffee. You can go to our website at AmericanRailroading.net. In the bottom left-hand corner, you'll see a little yellow coffee cup. You can buy us one cup, three cups, five cups, or ten cups of coffee. And essentially, it's like leaving us a tip for doing a good job, right? You can help support the podcast. So if you'd like to do that, uh, we welcome you to do so. Please don't feel obligated. And those of you that have, we thank you for doing so. Also, don't forget, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can reach our videos either through our website at AmericanRailroading.net, or you can also do it through YouTube at our channel, which is at American Railroading Podcast. So please don't forget about that because we do offer video uh, ep- versions of the episode as well as the audio. Uh, we're in the final stages of getting our online store up and running. I know a lot of you are getting excited about that. I'm excited about it as well. Uh, it takes a little time to get that off the ground. We've been trying to get it done here for the last couple of months, so I apologize. It's taken a little longer than we expected, but it's like baking a cake, right? You can't rush the process because you want it to be perfect in the end, and it's going to be. So it's going to be up and running by by the holidays here, so you'll be able to get all kinds of American railroading merch for your your family, your friends, and celebrate American railroading. We're going to have hats, shirts, hoodies, travel mugs, you name it, including our challenge coins, which have turned out amazingly. And I'm going to be posting a picture of our challenge coins for our veterans in the railroad industry here on LinkedIn. So if you're not following me on LinkedIn already, please do so. That's where I make the most of my updates. Although we are looking at having an Instagram page now. So I know I'm I'm moving forward into modern technology, right? (laughs) So um, I know it's it's a lot of work keeping up with social media pages. Those are my friends that have multiple. I don't know how they do it. Uh, but we're going to do it. We're going to get out there on, on the gram. Um, so there's a lot of great industry conferences out there. And uh, it's back when I was a new plant manager uh, in Chicago, there was one that I had heard about that got me all excited. It's called RSI. And it was RSI Interchange, right? And so it, what I heard about that I liked so much is that it was like not just a conference, not just educational classes, but this particular one had full-size rail cars and locomotives you could climb around. And I thought, how cool is that? You know, I, I was in my 20s at the time, so just a few years ago. And, uh, but it was really neat. And I got to learn so much and seeing things hands-on makes such an impression um, from the learning experience. So there was a dinner that was taking place on, <laughs> I think it was the first or second night of RSI, I don't remember. Uh, and that's Central Railway Supply Institute, by the way. And uh, we were to drop our business cards in, uh, like a fishbowl that would be drawn for, for gifts that you could receive after the dinner was over. It was my first business card, you know, as a plant manager. So I was excited just to have business cards, (laughs) my first real event like this. So that was exciting. And believe it or not, I won. So I get this box and I I wasn't sure what it, what it was. It said Waterford crystal. And I wasn't sure what Waterford crystal was. So inside were two champagne glasses. I never opened it. I was just told it was two Waterford crystal champagne glasses inside. And again, I didn't know what I was going to do with these things, right? So the lady next to me was kind enough to explain. And she said, honey, when you get married, break those things out and celebrate. I said, oh, that's a wonderful idea. 
Uh, needless to say, I, I still haven't opened the box, but I still have it. <laughs> and I can't wait for the day I open that thing up. But it was that was my first experience at RSI, and it was a great event, and I've gone to multiple, multiple events ever since. So today's episode is our second episode in the Rail Resources series, and we're going to be talking all about the Railway Supply Institute. And with that, our guest today is Patty Long. Patty is the president of the Railway Supply Institute, otherwise known as RSI, based in Washington, D.C., Patty graduated from Frostburg State University with a degree in business administration marketing. In her role as president at RSI, Patty presides over the largest and only trade association representing the full railroad system supply chain, whose members own 70% of the freight car rolling stock currently operating in the United States freight railroad system. Patty has over 30 years of experience in government relations, public affairs, and communications having spent the bulk of her career in the manufacturing trade association world. Prior to RSI, Patty spent nine years with the Plastics Industry Association, where she served as Chief Operating Officer and Interim CEO. Patty also spent two years as Executive Staff Member of the National Asphalt Pavement Association and almost 20 years with the National Association of Manufacturers, or NAM. Patty served as an adjunct professor of ethics at Georgetown University's School of Continuing Studies for over a decade. Patty also serves as a member of the Board of Trustees of the Academy of Holy Cross in Kensington, Maryland, and is a board member of the Society of Plastics Engineers. Patty is a native of the Washington, D.C. area, which she still calls home today with her husband and four daughters. So with that, Patty, welcome to the American Railroading Podcast. Thanks, Don. Great to be here. Well, great for having you. Thank you for being here. And is there anything else about you that I've missed that you'd like to share with our audience? I I have two grandsons, actually, after four daughters. We finally got a little uh, testosterone in the house. So uh, a four-year-old and a nine-month-old. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, and I've been with RSI. I'm just heading into my third year. So relative newcomer to rail, but uh, no stranger to manufacturing and the trade association world. Absolutely. And let's start by talking a little bit about RSI and who RSI is. So per your website at rsiweb.org, the Railway Supply Institute, or RSI, is the only all-inclusive trade association for the railway suppliers, representing more than 250 companies. RSI acts on behalf of the largest and smallest suppliers to North American freight and passenger railroads. Industry segments include mechanical, communications, and signaling, maintenance of way, and passenger industries. And I thought this was interesting to share with our audience as well. The North American railroad system is comprised of more than 1.5 million rail cars drawn by more than 30,000 locomotives over more than 170,000 miles of rail. I don't think people realize how massive the industry is. Every aspect of rail infrastructure was shaped and put into place by railroad suppliers for the railroad partners. We depend on on our railroads to move our freight most efficiently and our railroads depend on the railway supply industry. We, RSI, act on behalf of suppliers to North American freight and passenger railroads and their 150,000 employees. That is unbelievable. That's a lot. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And your primary focus at RSI, I believe, is on tank cars uh, via, via the RSI Committee on Tank Cars, or RSICTC, is that correct? It is, although we've got uh, about seven technical committees, so everything, um, there's one that's specific to tank cars, um, we do a lot of work in that area, but we also have a quality assurance committee, an equipment leasing committee, um, a government affairs and public affairs committee that works on tactics, we have a, a standard coupler committee, um, so we we really have a sort of a broad range of uh, indus- industry interests there. Excellent. And can you give a little bit of an overview for our listeners on who RSICTC is? Yeah, so it is made up of uh, seven um, companies. They are primarily um, builders and lessors of rail cars. So um, we have a tremendous amount of expertise in that area. Um, And that is sort of a self-funded group as part of RSI. The, The companies come together. One of the things that trade associations do a really amazing job at as is conveners. So, you know, a lot of our committees are almost niche committees for, you know, they take on issues that are specific to a certain segment 
of the industry. And in this case, uh, it is it is 10 cars. Um, Very good. And how long has RSI been around? And can you tell us a little bit about how RSI, how RSI began? Yeah, yeah. So RSI is actually the um, a product of a couple different trade associations that that merged. Uh, there was the Rail Progress Institute, um, which was more of sort of the the technical and the government affairs regulatory work uh, side of the business, and then there was the um, Rail Supply Association, which hosted the trade show, uh, which is uh, you know what what you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. I want to say it was 2008 or thereabouts when the two organizations merged. And so now um, we have this um, trade show. And I will say that we do our own standalone trade show every other year. We do a show where we get together with a couple other trade associations, REMSA, RSSI, um, and uh, ARIMA. And, um, you know, so we bring the industry together. And our plan is going forward um, to have that be more of a regular thing. We would like um, there to be one place where exhibitors can go, one place where attendees can go, because I think, you know, that that's really where it's all heading. People don't want to have to go to three or four different trade shows a year. They want to go to the one big one. And so that's really, I mean, if there is a real focus for me since I've been here, it's been in collaboration and trying to do things more that that bring the industry together because rail supply is a huge industry. We represent 242,000 um, you know jobs and that's just direct jobs. If you pull in indirect and induced jobs, we're up to 700,000. So that's really I mean when I came here it, to me it was like the little association that could. I mean here's this force, you know small $4 million trade association. Um, it's really at the forefront of a really important industry. And I don't think there's been enough awareness about that. Um, I know having worked in a lot of the shipper communities, I mean, I worked in plastics, I worked in manufacturing, um, you know, asphalt. I, I never knew that the railroads didn't own the rail cars. I, I assume that they did. It, it's RSI members who who own and lease those to the shippers. So, um, you know, because there's a lot of like technical expertise, engineering, um, I feel like I got here and I saw all this great work being done, you know, on the sides and nobody really talking about it. And unfortunately, if you don't talk about it and there isn't an awareness of the importance and you know the, the jobs that that we create and and support um you don't always have a seat at the right tables and so you know we when i came in we started a um, strategic planning process that started in 2023 one of our big areas was to just sort of raise that awareness and make people understand the importance of rail supply so um that that's been fun and sort of gratifying um, because I know I didn't understand it. I don't think others do understand it, even people who should understand it. So, you know, as much as I have in two years really tried to learn as much as I could about rail supply, I've also been equally focused on keeping that, that big, that objectivity of like that, oh, wow, you know, like keep your eye on on the focus, which is who we are and what we represent. Yeah, that's great. And although you're based in Washington, D.C., the Railway Supply Institute is not a government agency. And there may be yeah. some confusion for folks there, but, but you're not. Um, so you do, however, work closely with government agencies when it comes to the transportation uh, of commodities by rail. So yeah. you have an excellent chart on your website, by the way, that shows the process flow, if you will. And could you just take a moment, walk us through the process flow uh, to help our listeners and, and viewers understand the process from the White House on down and RSI's role in that process. Yeah, so I mean, we are a trade association. Our members are not individuals. That's usually, you know, in, in D.C. terms, that's a professional society. So we represent companies who are in the rail supply space. And, you know, the, the regulatory environment and the legislative environment is basically like our ecosystem. It is the environment in which we do business. And so 
um, you know, we've we've started as as an association talking a little bit about an ecosystem because in biology, you know, that's basically where where organisms exist together. But the important thing about sort of this ecosystem terminology is just that when one part of the ecosystem is impacted, all the others are. So while we're rail supply and we make components and we make signaling and communications and you know, some of our members make maintenance of way and ultimately we build the rail cars, we lease the rail cars, you know, other groups in there are so important. So like the raw materials, a lot of steel in rail cars. So steel is part of it. There's there's couplers, there's brakes, there's switches, there's valves, um, you know, there's fluoropolymers. Um, it's been kind of fun coming from another industry and realizing how much overlap and overlay there is in, in some of these materials. But in terms of, you know, the, the government side of it, I mean, um, so there is, you know, the White House, which, you know, has, uh, you know, the executive branch of the government. Um, underneath that is the Department of Transportation, Federal Railroad Administration, sorry, FEMSA, which is um, pipelines and hazardous materials, federal transit agencies, all these are groups that we interact with because they have oversight. There's also the Surface Transportation Board, which is another group that has oversight. And then there is this delegated authority that belongs to um, the American Association of Railroads. So all of these groups we spend a lot of time with, um, you know, working on, on standards and safety, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, safety, service, uh, and sustainability. Those are our three focus areas. And our members are really the developers of most of the technology that you see on these locomotives and on these trains. So, um, you know, a lot of our interfacing with these regulatory bodies is to help them understand what we need to encourage investment in new technologies because those are the, you know, when you look at the rail industry, I mean, we obviously want it to succeed. Um, you know, it's it's in our best interest for for the railroads to do well. But if you look at some of the criticisms of the railroads, it, it's related to service and concerns about safety, and those are all the things that you know, with new technologies um, like telematics. And um, you know, safety equipment and monitoring and and net zero emissions. These are all the things that that our companies are innovating on, and so they need an environment um, that incentivizes that. Yeah. So they. So that that really is is how that how and why that interaction is so important. Um, we've seen some uh, in the wake of East Palestine. Um, some legislation, um, you know, remains to be seen where where that's going to go. It's currently stalled in the Senate, but um, you know that that legislation was written very hastily. Um, we were really happy to be included um, in one part of it related to tank cars, um, but we we have a lot more work to be done just to make people understand because. Often for the 30 years in Washington working, you know, with with legislators and regulators, it isn't that they're trying to, you know, screw over an industry. It's just good intentions, bad unintended consequences. So they really do need somebody at the table and our members need somebody at the table sort of explaining, you know, why we do things, how we do them. And really helping them understand that that our ultimate focus is is the safety of beyond anything else. For sure. And we're going to touch on each one of those aspects you mentioned in there and throughout uh, our episode today. So okay. the listeners have that to look forward to. So in reviewing your supporting materials archive on your website, you can see RSICTC's interaction with not only the White House and U.S. government entities, but also Transport Canada and Canada's Minister of Transportation. So you interact with Canada's leadership as well. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, we we. A year ago in Berlin, signed a memorandum of understanding with UNIFE, which is the European Rail Association, um, and and um, the Canadian Rail Association. So we do a lot. Um, I was just on a panel at Railway Interchange um, 
Mexico was included in that. And I have to tell you, it, you know, it's very important. When I was at the Plastics Industry Association for, for almost 10 years, I had a strong relationship with all of the other um, countries' plastics associations. And we would get together once a year and, you know, just collaborate and share information. What's working? What are you doing? And really building a strong relationship. And what happened when USMCA was being renewed, uh, there was a provision in there that was really important to Canada and, and um, you know, plastics related. Um, and uh, so the, the head of um, Plastics Canada, Plastics Mexico, and the two U.S. associations that, that dealt with plastics in America got together and really um, worked hard to influence that debate and really made a, a strong difference. So, um, yeah, we we believe it's important to collaborate. A lot of our members, our members stretch from, you know, small um, U.S.-focused um, companies to large multinational companies um, who are, yeah, foreign companies who are are building in America and creating jobs in America. And RSI is also a member of the AAR Tank Car Committee. And you work together yes. with the AAR on the tank car safety project. Can you give us just a high level view of what the tank car safety project is? Yeah. Um, so we're actually in the process of renewing that memorandum of understanding. Um, but we do a lot of testing uh, with that group. We um, have an accident database um, that we work on together. And um, yeah, it, it's a jointly funded project. And um yeah, we're, uh, as I said, we are in the process of of renewing that. We also have a ARCI committee, which is rail car. We do a safety project um, with that as well. And we do a lot with uh, some of the safety um, and the testing organizations um, that exist in, in rail. Excellent. And per your website, again, because there's a lot of good information on the website. Well, thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. Tank cars have helped deliver valuable commodities throughout North America since the 1860s. Primitive tank cars built during the advent of railroads were made of wood and carried a variety of liquid products, including crude oil. And I actually have a picture of that, which is hilarious to see. Uh, there was no yeah. top on it even, so yeah. birds could yeah. fly into it or whatever. Uh, so today, tank cars are made of hardened steel and include a variety of other technical and safety features. They continue to serve as a vital link to global markets for an array of commodities ranging from corn syrup to corn-based ethanol. Tank cars are among the safest and most efficient ways to move materials from their production source to the consumer. As such, tank cars are a key part of the transportation supply chain and are vital to the world economy, which I totally agree with. And speaking of safety, according to the report from the Association of American Railroads, AAR, at AAR.org, called Rails Safety Record. The de derailment rate for all railroads is down 31% since 2000, and per the carload hazmat accident rate, it's down 78% since 2000 and is the lowest ever based on preliminary data from the Bureau of Explosives, which is great news. Now, in an effort to make tank cars even more safe, in 2011, as you're familiar with, the industry voluntarily started building the CPC-1232 tank car, and then in 2015, started the DOT-117J specifications along with the DOT-117R, which for those that don't know, is the CPC-1232 tank car retrofitted to DOT-117J specifications. So that's a mouthful, I know. But yeah. <laughs> can you take a moment and walk us through the evolution of these standards as you know it from the RSI perspective and what RSI's role was in yeah. coordinating some of these things? Yeah, so I mean, we were intimately involved in all of that. I mean, there, every different material has different needs um, and, you know, needs a different, so, you know, there are things in 111 that are very safely carried. Um, there are, you know, there has been some switch over to the 117s, um, but, you know, our members build the tank cars. Our members also own, uh, we say 95%, but we were just talking that we need to kind of look in and, and update that because we think it's getting closer to about 97%. So, um, you know, that's where where our really strong expertise is in, in, in understanding that. So not only do we work a lot with, um, you know, AAR, Tank Car Committee and, and, and regulators on that because we have the expertise, we, we work with a lot of the shippers um, on that as well, American Chemistry Council, API, 
uh, Chlorine Institute and others um, to, you know, sort of develop those those standards. At, at the end of the day, um, you know, they say 99.9% of all hazardous materials get to, you know, where they are going safely. That 0.1%, when that happens, um, you know, the other 99.9% doesn't feel very uh, relevant to the people in that town. So, you know, we are always looking to work with, you know, uh, anyone that we can, um, you know, immediately we were, you know, coordinating with NT NTSB to provide information, et cetera, because we want to do all that we can to make sure that, uh, you know, that that shrinks even more. Without a doubt. And to that point, Congress passed the FAST Act, HM251, for those that like acronyms, um, yeah. on December 4th of 2015. Could you give our listeners and viewers a little bit of an overview of the FAST Act and how that was um, something that RSI was involved with as well, I believe? Yeah, yeah. So that was um, really sort of an updating of, of tank cars. Um, and it was, you know, sort of done over um, a period of time. So certain materials were shifted immediately, others were shifted over time. And I think the really important thing about that and really why we were so involved is because we have, the, you know, we are the ones building them. So you need the capacity to build. So we were in, involved in um, one of the things in the legislation that was proposed after East Palestine was sort of a a hurry up of of the FAST Act. And, um, you know, we're, we're post-COVID raw materials, um, you know, worker shortages. We want to be as receptive, but we we sort of helped set those deadlines because this was when we knew that we were able to actually build those. You don't, um, you know, churn up a, uh, a factory and uh, spit out tank cars quite like that. So um, RSI was very involved in setting the uh, original deadlines and, and switching over of tank cars, things like, you know, jackets and things like that around the tank cars. But we were also um, very involved in sort of the resetting of those dates and, and, you know, trying to help people understand how quickly we could react and accommodate. Yeah, again, I, I do go back to the, you know, um, the the changeover to different types of tank cars. Each commodity that's carried in a tank car is is unique. Um, and so, you know, cryogenic materials, you know, have have one um, characteristic and they need, you know, different types of tank cars. So I think it's really important. But it's a huge, huge part of the industry and a, a huge part of the economy of the U.S. economy. It is. And you have a great uh, timeline on your website, by the way, yeah. describing the FAST Act and the, the deadlines for everything. So I encourage folks to check that out. The uh, Tank Car Resource Center is is really well done. We're actually going to be updating it a tiny bit just to sort of tweak uh, some of the features because it's, you know, six or seven years old. But yeah, I will tell you also after East Palestine, there was a, a good bit of um, media that was reactionary and looking to just, you know, print some horrific news. There were some other really good reporters who were interested in actually learning about tank cars. And it was terrific to have that that resource built um, ready there and sort of be able to share that. Agreed. And with all the investment that car owners have made, uh, changing from the CPC 1232s to the DOT 117Js, retrofitting the CPC 1232s to DOT 117Rs. I almost hate to ask this, but yeah. do you see a newer version on the horizon? Do you see that government's looking for something even better, a DOT 118? I don't know, but, you know, a, another improvement on the horizon. You know, my, my only concern, I mean, I, I, I think manufacturing always innovates and, and, grows and gets better. So I, I wouldn't, I would never shy away from that. What I would shy away from is, you know, and, and I learned this when we were, uh, you know, when I was working at the National Association of Manufacturers, like one size fits all standards. What we don't want is to sort of put out the perception that, you know, there's the best kind of tank car. And then the other ones 
aren't as good. Um, they're very good. Um, they were built to carry certain materials. Yes, technology has evolved so that some of these other more dangerous chemicals um, can be carried more safely, um, but it doesn't nullify um, some of the other, you know, the innovations and the fact that that the other products are being very safely carried. Agreed. And I think it's important to note as well that RSI's involvement in the efforts to improve tank cars is voluntary, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're, we're, we're as uh, interested as, as anyone in sort of making sure that, uh, that these things are, are do, you know, performing as they were designed to perform. And RSI offers a lot of great data. I know I've mentioned a couple of times now, but you do through your website, including, and you mentioned it just a moment ago, the Tank Car Resource Center. So can you tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about that? Yeah, it's just, um, it is a interactive website. So, you know, you click on it and uh, there's a little bit of Tank Car 101, but then you click on, you know, you scroll down a little bit and you can click on little parts of the tank car and it will sort of peel away and show you what materials are there and why they're there and how um you know the where the the resources are put in how they let pressure out um and really all the materials that are are in a tank car so it's uh it's just very well done um it does as you said uh talk about the fast act um talk about the deadlines where we we are in terms of meeting those deadlines um, and it's, it, yeah, it's something that those, those who actually build the tank cars have been, you know, we, we have a, many different technical committees, but there is a, a technical subcommittee of the, the CTC, um, and they're the ones really kind of looking to, to, to update that and, um, make it even better. So lay people can understand, um, you know, what it is and, and how it works. Yeah, and the fact that it's so interactive is really neat. I think that people yeah. are really going to enjoy that. I enjoy that, yeah. and I've been around forever. <laughs> so some of the data on the website shows a steady decline in crude oil shipments by rail from 2019 on. So in your opinion, does that lower crude oil, is, is that because of lower crude oil production, or do you think that some of the market share is being taken by truck or pipeline? Um, I I don't, you know, that's probably a question for Todd Tronowski, who would maybe know better, but I, I do know that we are, we have been losing modal share to trucks. And I think a lot of that has to do with, with service. Um, I, I, I was just speaking at a, a shipper conference and, and I got a question about, you know, sort of safety. And um, I, I was telling them that somebody had sort of suggested, well, you know, you live in Washington, you don't live in a small town and, you know, these, these rail cars going through these small towns i if any if anyone's from the dc area they will know the washington beltway is you know the circle that goes around I, I live right outside there and my four daughters all drove to school um on the beltway um and i can tell you and you know right to the right of the beltway are the train tracks i would way rather have my kids driving near the train tracks where there are rail cars transporting, um, you know, hazardous materials and, and you know, um, oil and that sort, as opposed to um, being right next to them on, on the Capitol Beltway. So, and, and that's not just us saying that, those are, those are statistics. It is, it is way safer. It is. And, and going yeah. back to Todd Tronowski for just a moment, we, we actually yeah. had him on one of our episodes uh, talking in episode six, I believe it was. So he's a great yeah. friend of the podcast as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you talked about industry growth and the need for continued industry growth. So yeah. how do we get there? What, what do we need to do to ensure continued growth in the industry? Yeah, I mean, from, you know, for RSI, I mean, I'm very focused on on controlling what we can control and so you know what what i think our members need is they need um and an environment that's going to incentivize the investment um in growth um you've you know i think some of the the modal share that we're losing as i said has to do with with service issues um that's not something that we can control but we also invest in the technologies that can make that service better. So you can, 
sort of uh, reliability and you can see where your product is in transport. Um, you know, we right now have this, this great built-in advantage, the physics of, of rail. So we are the most sustainable way to transport products from, from one place to another. But, you know, there's a lot of investment in autonomous um, trucks and electric trucks. And, you know, so we could, we could lose that, you know, and we, we have to be very careful and, you know, the rails invest, the railroads invest, you know, they're private, they're, they are owned, you know, a lot of the investment in autonomous vehicles and autonomous trucks and electric is, is, being made by the taxpayer and the federal government. So, you know, make no mistake, the EPA is not focused on net zero emissions for rail. They're they're focused on the automobile. So I think we're at a little bit of a disadvantage there. So we need to kind of keep an eye on that. Um, and then just the safety. I mean, there's a lot of really amazing technology out there that, um, you know, at 70 miles an hour, a train, you know, you you can look underneath the train and see, you know, a problem before it manifests itself. So all that said, all those things that will make rail safer, greener, you know, more reliable are all things that require technology. And there's this perception out there that technology is the enemy of of human jobs or human capital. That that's not I, I don't believe that's the case. I, I believe it's technology that that helps humans do more. You need ultimately you need people um, to review the data and to process the data and, and to understand it. So um, I just think you know it, there there's perception, but there's also just this this you know this regulatory environment that that you know that tells our companies like hey because these are long-term investments these don't happen overnight you need to know that that the industry is going to be successful and and you know get people into the industry there's a lot of barriers to entry in the rail industry and you know um again i'm, I'm sort of focused on controlling what we can control and as rail suppliers it's it's the you know the technology. Yeah, and you've mentioned the economy earlier, so I know that uh, the industry's role in GDP is really important to you because I know we've talked yes. about that before. Yeah. So, do you want to touch on that for just a moment? Well, just yeah, you know our our um, economic impact report, which um, you know is is front and center on our website. Um, I talked about the jobs. I didn't talk about was seventy five billion dollars um, that that it. Um, you know, contributes to the U.S. GDP. So, you know, I mean, I, on the one hand, I feel like, you know, the end of 2022, right before uh, the holidays, when there was an impending strike, um, a little bit of COVID, the American public, I think, came to understand a little bit more about supply chains and, and how complicated they were and how actually how fragile they were. Um, in some ways, that wasn't a terrible thing for us because it did help people realize that, you know, you just just don't drive to the grocery store and the things are there on the shelves. I mean, they have to be transported. So um, we touch every part of, you know, of the U.S. economy and, um, you know, contribute to it in a, in a very positive way. So, yeah. And of course, job. Absolutely. A lot of jobs. I think you said, what, 700,000 or something? 700,000 wow. indirect and induced. And that's, you know, that's a lot more than the, the class one railroads uh, do. And so I, I think, you know, um, we kind of get lumped in a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like it's important, people think of of, of rail as, as a three-legged stool. You know, you've got the, the railroads, you've got labor and you've got the shippers it's actually a four-legged stool with with you know uh, rail supply being the fourth leg so yeah agreed and according to the u.s federal highway administration freight shipments are due to increase or expected to increase by 30 percent by 2040 so in your opinion are we ready for such an increase and if not what do we need to do to pre prepare for that 
I, I think we're ready. I mean, I, I, you know, some of these economic forecasts, I, I also put in the category of, you know, the, um, the things we can control, the things that we can't, you know, that's more of the things that we can't control. I mean, I, I think um, real supply has ramped up pretty quickly um, in, in, at different times to really um, deal with the capacity. Um, but, you know, um, I think they're, I don't, they don't want to get out ahead of their skis as, as well. So, you know, I, I think there is, um, I wouldn't say just in time building because it doesn't quite work that way. Um, but, you know, I mean, we are optimistic um, about that, but also, uh, you know, want to make sure that the growth is there and that we're, we're poised to be ready for it. I was going to say the RSA members are ready to go. <laughs> I know that. So, I was at church last month and a friend of mine came up and again, I'm in Houston. So a lot yeah. of the folks around here work in oil and gas. And yeah. I had a friend of mine come up and say, how do you feel about the government banning the shipping of fossil fuels by rail? And I looked at him kind of confused. I'd like to think I'm up on things, you know, yeah. I said, brother, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And so I went home and I, and I started searching and I did see multiple articles that said exactly that, that there was a, a ban on shipping fossil fuels by rail, and it spoke to a particular uh, FEMSA, uh, well, not a ruling, but I'm getting to that in just a second here, but a, a FEMSA doc. So I was aware of the proposed rulemaking from October, um, November the 8th of 2021, where FEMSA, again, the Pipeline Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, proposed a suspension of rule HM264 that was originally from July 24th of 2020, which allowed the shipping of LNG, which is liquefied natural gas, by rail tank cars. However, this was only a proposed suspension. It was proposing the suspension. It wasn't the actual suspension. So by rule, even then, shippers could still ship LNG by rail, though most of them were reluctant to do so because they knew there was a pending suspension. Yeah. So yeah. what my friend at church was referring to on September 1st of this year, 2023, FEMSA had issued HM264A which was the formal suspension of shipping LNG by rail. However, just to clarify, in my understanding, it is not a ban and therefore it's not the end of LNG by rail necessarily, uh, by tank cars, I should say, to clarify that. Uh, FEMSA is obligated to publish a new rule under RIN 2137-AF54 to replace HM264, known as HM264V. A lot of stuff there, guys. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they have to do that by June 30th of 2025, or the original rule, HM264, um, will go back into effect, allowing LNG to be shipped by rail. That'll go back into effect. So not only um, have fossil fuels not been banned by rail, again, this is my understanding, but LNG by rail is not dead. It's only suspended in tank cars until when and if the new rule comes in play by FEMSA or June 30th of 2025, whichever comes first. Having said all yeah. of that, yeah. yeah, am I corrected in my understanding of that? Yeah, so um, the rule was actually 2020, um, and it, you know, um, prior to the rule, um, you could only ship it with a special permit. So in the previous administration, um, they lifted that, this most recent rule basically said FEMSA has to study it a little bit further. So you can still ship with special permitting. Um, you know, from our perspective, um, you know, LNG is just another cryogenic material. Um, and the reason why, you know, and we've been shipping cryogenic materials, um, you know, by rail for, for 50 years. The reason why it wasn't okay 50 years ago is because it wasn't, you know, people weren't using, there wasn't uh, the, the need for it at that point. LNG was not, you know, a huge, uh, you know, resource that was used. So, um, again, it, it is, um, they will study it. Um, we're hopeful that, um, you know, this will sort of revert back. But uh, at this point, yeah, it's, it, you can ship it with a um, special permit. 
Right. And and on that note, so uh, the reason I brought all this up, is, this is important to our shipper friends, you yeah, know, yeah. here in, in the Conroe, Texas area in the Houston area, we have yeah. folks that are shipping by truck right now. And yeah. so this would be an enormous savings for them if they could do that. And and as you said, they can do it right now um, in ISO containers on flat cars with special permission from the FRA. And going back to something you mentioned earlier, LNG is shipped by truck every day. And it's on the highways every day. Yes. Next yes. to you and your minivan or, you know, you yeah. and whatever, everybody's cars out there. Um, yeah. It's it's already on the on the highways right next to yeah. us. So, yes. <laughs> no, no, 100%. And, you know, not only a cost saving to switch from from truck to rail, but sustainability. You know, I mean, a lot of these companies um, are, you know, they've made pretty aggressive sustainability goals to be able to, um, you know, meet those goals, switching their product from, from truck to rail would really, really help. So, um, it, it's, it's safety, um, but, but it's also sustainability. Absolutely. Something really neat that came out last week from RSI was a webinar that you had and talked about RSI 300, the RSI 300 program, which I found fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit about the program? Yeah, and actually I was um, speaking at a shipper conference, so I, I uh, wasn't on the, the thing, but it's just a, another example of um, some of the standards that our members you know, get together that, that um, came out of the RSI Quality Assurance Committee um and um you know voluntary standards that that the industry puts together best practices and you know there are companies that that really invest their time to put these together and for a long time before i got here i think it was sort of you know a tree falling in the woods and and one of the things when i came i was like we need to do a web webinar a month and really start sharing this with the industry, not even just our SI members, but like the broad industry. I mean, we want as an industry, um, you know, we we want to be better. We want to get better. We want, um, you know, the tier one suppliers to kind of look down the line and say, oh, well, they're, they're tier two suppliers, tier three suppliers who are members of RSI. And therefore, you know, they've got access to a lot of these um, tools and technologies and and the best practices um, in the industry. And so, you know, you'll see a lot more um, of those things coming out and a lot more webinars that are designed to just give our members the information that they need to, to be the best that they can. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the webinars myself, so I can certainly speak to that. Good, good, good. RSI also provides advocacy uh, for its members. So can you give us some examples of the type of advocacy you provide? Yeah, yeah. So advocacy, you know, people think of it as lobbying, but it it's it's everything. I mean, it is, um, you know, it's media. It's it's kind of speaking, advocating for the industry. Um, most often, it's at the regulatory side of the thing. So just staying in in constant contact with the folks at PEMSA and FRA and and STB. But you know, I, I really got to see the strength of the RSI um, and, and, and I, I don't get credit for this because I, I think there was there's many years of a trust built up over time in, in Washington that um, when this, um, you know, this legislation was being developed in the Senate um, and some of the other bigger shipper organizations, you know, kind of looked to us and said, look, we need to, you know, like, can you do this? How can you do it? And so we were, we were talking with with the people writing the legislation and and there was really i mean it's all about you know it's all about developing trust um with the people on the hill and them recognizing that you know safety really is our focus um them recognizing that we have the expertise so um there's nothing magical about lobbying it's it's communication communicate it's you know blocking and tackling it just being there, having them, you know, know who we are. Um, we did a really cool event in July um, where we brought all these different technologies into the Rayburn building. And, you know, 
everyone will tell you in lobbying, it's great to get a member of Congress out into your plant and show them and it's fun and it's cool and neat. And they really, you know, you can tell somebody something, but when you show them, you know, they, you really kind of understand it, but it's hard to get a member of Congress often to, you know, take a day or, uh, you know, half a day and, and go into these manufacturing plants. So we had, you know, about seven or eight companies that came into the Rayburn building and brought um, their technologies with them. And we invited their them, you know, the members of Congress, we invited their staff, we invited the regulatory people to come in and sort of see what it was that we were doing. And, um, you know, we had videos and, and actual, you know, large pieces of equipment. And it's not easy to do it, but it was um, just because you got to have the, technology scanned and you know comes in a special back door etc but it was really really well received um and we had a you know 160 people coming through that day followed by a reception so again it's it's tell them show them tell them again and then you know um show them how it impacts them i mean we have this great um, supplier network resource on our website that shows, you know, where all of our suppliers are located. And it's, you know, I used to always say when we'd have CEOs come in and we'd be taking them to the Hill. And I would always say, before you have, before you ask for whatever it is you're asked, you have to establish, why should you listen to me? You know, I mean, because they're, they got people coming in their office every day. And so, you know, you need to start with, um, these are the number of jobs that are supported in your industry. You know, these are the number of people who potentially are voting or not voting for you. But it is really sort of helping them understand that the decisions that they are making are, are tied to livelihoods and jobs of people in their district. And so it's, you know, it's just really important that that you get in there. Not only we as lobbyists go in. Um, but bringing our members in and kind of allowing them to to advocate for themselves. So it's sort of a two-prong approach. Yeah. And, you know, what I found neat when I moved here to Texas was, uh, and I'm sure every state has something like this, but they had a rail uh, day at the Capitol and they do that yeah. once a year. And so I yeah. was I was there for that this year uh, through my Chamber of Commerce. So yeah. I got yeah. to meet congressmen and senators and, and not only hear – hear what they had to say, but also to see how the sausage is made, so to speak, right? Yeah. See how this yes. really works. And it made more sense to me why sometimes the slow process, you know, yeah. um, but it was neat to be able to interact with everybody. And I know our industry has a railway day on the Hill. I can't remember yes. who hosts that, but. Uh, yeah, well, there, there's one that's, that's sort of a broader rail day on the Hill. Um, and then RSI did a mini one in, in, um, February of this year, where we just brought rail suppliers in. But yeah, um, the the other one, you know, often is labor and the short lines and the railroads and rail supply um, all coming together. And it, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. And I encourage anybody, if they had the chance to go to your event, uh, please do yeah. so, because it's really, it's an eye opener to see how the process is done. Yeah, yeah. So we spoke at the intro about my experience with the RSI interchange and uh how just awesome it was and, and all the events are really neat. And you just had one here recently this yeah. month, earlier this month in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I believe it was the first full interchange expo since the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we were back last year, just RSI. This is the first time that, that all the groups came back together um, before 2019. And it was, um, it was, there was a great energy there. You, you could feel it. And, um, you know, one of the things that that I love to do at a trade show is just walk around and talk to the exhibitors and say, like, how's your show going? How's the traffic? And they were really pleased, not only with the, um, you know, the the number of people that were walking through the show floor, but the caliber of the people, you know, that, that they were people, you know, they were buyers um, and they were, you know, there for all the right reasons. We also did, we're doing a lot more on the education side. Um, as I mentioned, I feel like we've got all this this great expertise. Um, so we've always done a, um, a technical conference um, that we do with um, a bunch of professional societies. So League of Railway Women, 
IRU, um, real RTSA, alphabet soup of, uh, yeah, um, locomotive maintenance officers of America. Um, and they, you know, we, so we'll have a track that's designed specifically, um, American Brake Association, designed for those specific areas. Um, but RSI has both their own technical expertise and also um, we did some really great thought leadership panels. So we did one on like, why is the industry losing modal share? How can we come together? And so we had a railroad, we had an investor, we had a, you know, a big lessor um, and uh, we had someone representing the uh, um, Grain and Feed Association. So a big shipper. And it was, you know, the theme of it was really about collaboration and, you know, both on the freight side and on the passenger side. I mean, that passenger side is kind of an untapped resource. And we're looking to get into that space a little bit more because where there's a lot of money out there that was made available through IIJA and it's really not making its way um, into the system as quickly as it could. And because it is appropriated money, you know, it has the ability to to go away. So we're um, talking with a lot of our passenger members and, and passenger suppliers and tier two suppliers, trying to figure out how we can do a better job of, of you know, kind of creating that environment um, and, and getting that money into the pipeline so that it doesn't go away. And if you could take just a minute and explain the difference between the regular RSI meeting and interchange, because interchange is, is a grand scale. I mean, can you go over the yeah. numbers, kind of how big that is? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say, you know, we would have probably um, 1,100 people at an RSI show, 100 exhibitors. Uh, railway interchange is uh, RUMSA, which is a maintenance of way organization, RSSI, which is um, focused exclusively on communications and signaling, and then RSI, who has um, some of both of those, but all, you know, the primary car builders and the lessors. Um, we are the exhibitors. Um, REMSA, or I'm sorry, ARIMA was there um, providing education this year. And so um, just so much going on, you know, um, you know, five, 6,000 people, you know, I don't know, 600, 700 exhibitors. So a much larger group. It's, uh, it was, this was my first interchange. So uh, it was pretty awesome. The, you know, uh, the only bad news was that people were like, you know, you get lost a little bit in the crowd, but, you know, you also, there were so many other groups that sort of came. They're like, well, uh, the whole industry is together at interchange. Let's, let's take advantage of that. And, you know, why don't we set up this meeting or that meeting? So it was a pretty awesome show. It is impressive. And if someone's looking at considering joining RSI, what would you say are some of the benefits of being a member? Yeah, so I'm I'm passionate about trade associations. I have been in this space my whole life. And, and I think there's some really powerful things that associations can do as a convener. So the, there's the advocacy side. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the rub on advocacy side is, well, some people say, well, it's going to happen whether we're, we're there or not. Well, not true. I mean, we, we can do so much more, um, you know, when we sort of bring more people to the table, but um, advocacy is a big part of it. Um, education, um, you know, as I mentioned, you, you talked about the webinar you attended. I mean, we really have a lot to share and a lot of information that, you know, reduces those barriers to entry into the industry. And I think, you know, um, you need a, a, a thriving supply chain all the way down, you know, and so some of those, those things that keep people, because some of the suppliers to our industry could, could just as easy supply the oil and gas industry or another industry, you know, so you really want to incentivize um, there to be a very healthy and thriving supply chain. Um, so we provide a lot of technical knowledge and expertise that really you know, reduces some of those barriers to entry. We're also a really big connector. So um, large companies, and, and this is something that's really been evolving over the last couple decades. I mean, 
it isn't enough for uh, you know a large company to say, well, we're doing this or we're doing that. They need to sort of certify all the way down through their supply chain. And when you are together in an association, um, and yeah, I won't, I won't do too much of an RSI commercial because I know that's not why you invited me, but I am a big believer in joining your association. And um, you know, I, I think RSI is a really strong place. Um, to bring the industry together for you to connect with both your customers and your suppliers, um, you know, and, and sort of help us advocate on your behalf because, you know, it's it's the people that, that come to the table who's really, you know, you show up and your interests are, um, are recognized and you really do have a seat at the table. So, and then the education, I think, you know, a lot of it, we, you don't have to be an RSI member to get too um but some of it you do and you know i think it's a real differentiator if you're in the market and a large you know a trinity rail or a green briar sees that you're an rsi member that's really going to give you a leg up in business because they're investing so much in in our industry association well focusing on you for just a moment since yeah. you've been in the industry for a few years now What's uh, what's your greatest takeaway about the industry? What do you what do you enjoy about it most of all? Um, you know, I I've just I've really enjoyed learning. Um, it's in some ways, you know, um, it's different because we're I've worked for a lot of regulated industries. In some ways, it's different because of this delegated authority. Um, there's a real unique culture uh, to. The railroads. Um, I think it comes from having been around for so so long, um, but there's also a tremendous pride, and I love that. I you know it's it's palpable. I mean, people are very proud of what they do, and people have been in the industry for you know forty years, and they'll let you know it is as soon as they you know they meet you. So. You know, one of my first meetings, it was a 10 car meeting and everyone was going around saying, you know, I've been here 45 years. I've been here 43 years. And all I could think was like, oh, God, where's all this knowledge going to go to, you know, because they are looking, you know. So, I mean, that was kind of one of my like early learnings was that, hey, we need to. Um, we need to kind of bridge the gap and connect the dots between some of the, these people who have really learned over the years and have so much expertise and knowledge and these new people that are getting into it. So um, that that's another sort of part of the connection uh, that I really like. Yeah, and I do as well. And with the 26 years in the industry, I'm still a kid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in comparison, because you're right, there's a lot of folks in this. And that says a lot about our, in our industry, I think that uh, the longevity of these careers. And, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons I created the podcast, in fact, was to show folks that they can have a wonderful career in this industry. And it's, it's a place they can certainly uh, come and experience a, a lifetime of friendships as well, because it's, yeah. it, we're family and, and you yeah. feel it and you see it. And it's just, a, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So believe it or not, we're nearing the end of our episode already. That so are, yeah. Right. So are there any <laughs> other thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience before we go? Um, you know, just kind of going back to where I started from of just the, you know, the fact that that um, rail supply is such an important part of the economy. And um, it is the rail suppliers that that own the cars. And I, I kind of I feel like a broken record a little bit saying that, but I have spoken to people who should know that. I know that when I was in Washington working for a lot of shipper organizations, I was not aware of it. And so, you know, I really, I, um, as I said, I, I, I've learned a lot. I've also tried to kind of keep, keep that step back and that, that objectivity. Um, you know, I would, I, I've talked a lot about collaboration recently. A lot of our education at the show was about collaboration. I was just speaking at a, a shipper conference, and uh, at the end, I kind of said, I hope I wasn't too preachy about it. But for even the other rail supply associations in this space, um, you know, we need to 
really be on the same page on, on the advocacy side of things. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the number of jobs that that you know we we account for, and and if we don't speak as one voice, or we kind of get my you know people are in DC are always kind of talking about their own thing. We need to keep um, you know. Um, the big picture in front of all of us, whether you're short lines or or large or, or transit or whatever. More people and more products traveling by rail is the rising tide that lifts all of our boats. And so we need to keep that at, at the forefront of our mind. And, um, you know, there are always going to be issues where, you know, we're going to agree to disagree with with labor or with with shippers but at the end of the day we, we really all want the same thing so we need to you know kind of okay we're, we're not going to be on the same page here but here's some of the things that we all want and we all need to work together um on those areas and i think you know if we did more of that there would be no stopping rail for sure. And Patty, I want to thank you again for joining us on this episode regarding yeah, rail resources. Fun. Yeah, of which RSI is definitely one of them. And where can people reach RSI if they have any questions? Yeah, so uh, if you go to our website, rsiweb.org, um, all of our email addresses are first uh, initial last name. So plong at rsi.org uh, uh, is the email address. Um, but yeah, there's, I'm, I'm glad to know you, uh, were on the website and had good things to say. There's a lot of great information there, contact information for, for all the staff. So, um, yeah, we've got a really strong staff and, um, yeah, they're, uh, anxious to serve. And thank you again for joining us today. Would you like to join us again on a future episode? I would love to. Excellent. We're glad to have you. Thank you again, Patty. All right. Take care. And folks, I just want to again recognize our anchor sponsor, the Revolution Rail Group. We are a consulting and brokering firm in the rail car industry. So if you need of any consulting regarding um, merger and acquisitions, uh, market analysis, process flow analysis, really anything of that nature, you can contact us as well as our brokering services. So buying, selling, leasing, and subleasing of rail cars, you can reach us at 844-455-3434. You can email us at info at therevolutionrailgroup.com. You can also go to our website at revolutionrailgroup.com. Follow me on LinkedIn for updates. That's where I do most of my updates, although we are going to be getting on the gram, but be patient with me on that one. For now, you can follow us on LinkedIn. Stay tuned for our November episode. And until then, God bless, make it a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the American Railroading Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on a future episode or want to support or sponsor the show, please visit our website at AmericanRailroading.net. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on the American Railroading Podcast.